Good morning, brothers and sisters. I want you to rest assured that my purpose this morning is refreshment and not controversy. I'd like to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses concerning the story of John the Baptist and his question concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So follow along as I read Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would refresh our bodies and our minds and our our spirits by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to see our Lord Jesus Christ as the answer to our discouragements and the reason to continue on no matter what may come. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, this devotional this morning really builds on our brother David's devotional on Tuesday. He he challenged us to see God's sovereignty in the difficulties of ministry. And this morning, I want to point you to the person and work of Christ as another answer to the discouragements of ministry. Now, John the Baptist is considered by many to be a a great man of God. And if you're like me, I consider him to be something of a, a man's man. A man of the wilderness who wore camel's hair and ate wild honey and locusts. But in our text today, he seems to be struggling with unfulfilled expectations. And I think for for those of us in ministry, there are times, I think sometimes our greatest disappointments and doubts can be a result of unfulfilled expectations on our part. I want to open this passage up for a few minutes this morning with, first of all, the question from John the Baptist, keeping it simple here, and number two, the answer from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's consider first of all the question from John the Baptist, are you the coming one or do we look for another? I want to open that question up with three more questions. But before we do that, I just want to briefly address this issue that some of you maybe have addressed yourselves before. Was this question being asked for John himself or for his disciples? Now, there was a time when... I thought it was kind of a cool interpretation that this was for his disciples, but I've come away from this text thinking that this really was was for John. But it, it might not be that simple either. You know, some say that this was John's way of turning his disciples over to Christ since John himself was in prison and possibly facing death or at least the end of his formerly active ministry. Others say that John himself was the one struggling. Now, it's true that John had seen Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus and heard the Father say, 
This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But even the best of men struggle with faith in the midst of dire circumstances. And I kind of believe that whoever thinks that John could not have been struggling because at one point his faith had been strong, might have forgotten what can happen to people with the passing of time and the endurance of difficult trials. I tend to believe that this was John that was struggling somewhat. Maybe his disciples as well. But the answer is kind of the same either way, so I'm not sure it really matters. But Matthew notes that John is in prison. And Jesus' answer includes the statement, go and report to John. So I tend to believe that John's faith was being tested because of the current situation. And maybe we can better understand this doubt as confusion. I don't know that John was ultimately doubting God's Word. In fact, I don't think he was. But whether or not he understood everything correctly may have been his biggest concern, especially where God's providence was concerned. I thought it was going to look like this. And it it doesn't. And, and, And I believe God's call in my life and I believe what I've taught, but maybe I missed something. Here I am in prison. So let's open that question up with three questions. The, the main question is, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Asked of John and his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ. But now I want to ask three questions concerning that. As far as this whole issue is, as far as why is John doubting? Question number one, and these are questions that John may have been asking himself. If Jesus is Messiah, why am I in prison? And he addresses the issue, or he's having to address the issue of dark providences in his own life. Remember, John had boldly challenged Herod Antipas for marrying Herodias. That marriage involved both of those individuals divorcing their current spouses. And while we don't have time to get into that whole mess, John had consistently rebuked Herod Antipas for adultery and divorce. And it's believed that Herod Antipas threw John into the prison in Macarus, a prison that was part of one of the Herodian palaces. Now think about this with me for a moment. John was a fiery preacher, a man of the wilderness, an outdoorsman. He was used to being out there. That's where his clothes came from. It's where his food came from. It's where he was comfortable. And when he preached... He didn't care so much about fitting into society, but being faithful to the message that God had given him. And now this fiery outdoorsman who was comfortable in that environment is now silenced in prison. A prison that was probably not much more than a pit. Now, while apparently John could receive visitors, it was certainly a dreary place nonetheless. He needed confirmation and assurance in this cloud of doubt that he faced in a gloomy fortress prison. And I wonder this morning, my brothers and sisters, what has caused you to doubt God's goodness or justice? Dark providences often test us in this way. And we might tend to think to ourselves, and we'd never want to verbalize it, would we? But if Jesus is Messiah full of goodness and truth, why do I have to suffer like this? Why was my loved one allowed to die? 
Why do I struggle physically so much in ways that hinder my effectiveness in the ministry? Why did that beloved family leave my church? Why is our little association of churches struggling so much? Satan magnifies the circumstances and we doubt God. And it might be other people's dark providences that cause you to think this way. I don't know, I'm sure some of you brothers have had this experience at former GAs in the past. Kind of the, when you're away, why does everything happen? And you have, it's like you almost wonder, should I go to the GA? <clears throat> well, some of you have had GAs like this before. Um, over the last couple of days, we had one young couple in our church down at a hospital in Cincinnati ready to receive a child that had been um, designated for them through a domestic adoption. And they were there around the, uh, the hospital for the birth. And the birth mom was completely in love with them and ready to go with it. And all of a sudden, she's surrounded by volatile, venomous, angry family members. And that young couple from my church went home yesterday without that baby. I got an email yesterday as well that another young couple, the, the girl's brother, who is estranged from the family, fell off a ladder and died. And some of you have had GAs like that. And you look at those dark providences. And I think kind of like John the Baptist, you don't really doubt God. You don't really doubt His goodness. But there's a part of you that kind of struggles with it. In fact, have you ever, have you ever been giving someone biblical encouragement and the very words are kind of ringing hollow in your own heart and mind? Do I really believe what I'm saying to them right now? If Jesus is Messiah, why am I in prison? Second question, if Jesus is Messiah, why are the Romans still in power? Messiah was to bring deliverance to the Jews. And many looked for this to include immediate and physical deliverance from their Gentile oppressors. And one common expectation was that men like Elijah and Jeremiah would return along with some other prophets. And John may have wondered about this. Was Jesus actually maybe one of these men? Maybe he missed it. You know, the Luke passage gives us some insight. The parallel passage in Luke. Christ actually had just performed a, a raising from the dead, brought someone back from the dead to life. And then Luke 7.16 says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited His people. And this report about Him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. And it was in this context that John in prison hears the report of Christ. And being in prison, not able to be out there himself, he's hearing the reports, we have a great prophet in our midst, or we've heard from God. And maybe he began to wonder. Well, if Jesus really was the Messiah, why, why are the Romans still in power? Why am I still in prison? Maybe I've missed something. I want to submit to you that we struggle with doubt when we don't completely understand God's Word. Or, when God hasn't revealed His secret will to us. Now, in John's case, the revelation of Scripture was not complete. 
I think we can also struggle, even though we have the completed revelation, we can struggle if we don't know a part of God's Word well, or if we fail to think and live in light of that revelation. Then you also have this whole realm of God's thoughts and plans that have not been revealed to us at all. Especially where specific circumstances in our lives are concerned. Why does America continue toward destruction without repentance? How can a completely good and all-powerful God allow children to die? What about abortion, sex trafficking, and children with no parents? Why doesn't God just wipe out wickedness now? Now, Scripture speaks to these things. But we don't completely understand the mind of God either and what it is that He is doing and how He is doing it. If Jesus is Messiah, why are the Romans still in power? Third question, if Jesus is Messiah, why are the Pharisees still the spiritual leaders of Israel? And here are maybe where some of the unfulfilled expectations come in in a pointed way. I won't turn you there, but in Matthew 3, 7-12, we have the record of John soundly rebuking the Pharisees and their false doctrine and their hypocrisy. John had presented Christ as one who would bring justice and righteousness, one who would right the wrongs, one who would separate the wheat from the chaff. But this didn't all happen as immediately as expected or perhaps as hoped. And like many prophets before him, John didn't understand how all of the prophesied events would occur in time. For instance, I think as was often the case, John tended to see perhaps the first coming and the second coming of Christ as the same basic thing. And he, he didn't understand, like we heard last night, you know, the, the already not yet. And while the kingdom had come, it hadn't come in its fullness. And Christ hadn't come as judge as He will one day. And John might have been saying to himself, this is not happening as I had expected. I wonder how many of you brothers have said that along with me in ministry. This is not how I thought it was going to go. This is not what I expected. I thought it would be different. And you know, sometimes I think God works us over in an area of perceived strength just to humble us and show us that it is really Him. You know, I remember when I was heading to Kemp five years ago, um, we are not that far from Cedarville University, and there were some people that said, uh, you know, Steve, with your personality, and you taught middle school for nine years, you know, you're going to be a good fit in that college environment. I tell you, one of the most elusive elements to the ministry at Kemp, in my mind, has been the teenagers and the college students and exactly what to do with them. And it's that area of perhaps perceived strength has been perhaps one of the weakest areas of ministry in some ways, as far as I see it. But then when God does that, He reminds us that it's all of Him anyway. And I'm weak even where there's perceived strength. And if there is any strength, it's what He created into us. It's what He is doing anyway. But sometimes we can have unfulfilled expectations because we thought it was going to be different. That sometimes results, if we're privileged to see them at all, are delayed. 
And sometimes I think they might be delayed well beyond our lives. I think we can take comfort in John's perplexity. Later on in this chapter in Matthew 11, Christ speaks very highly of him, even though he struggles under the burden he is called to endure. In fact, I think that may be one of the reasons Christ says what he does, because in the first part of chapter 11, he deals with John's weakness, John's question. And then he turns to the crowd and exalts John in the eyes of the people as a faithful man with a faithful message. Well, let's look at the answer. The answer to the question. And I love this. Now, in the book of Matthew, the answer is essentially this. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. But Luke brings something in that just totally makes this alive for me. And I want to present to you that the answer to our doubts is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does when you compare Luke 7 with Matthew 11. Luke 7.21 says, and this is in the context of John's question, Luke says, And that very hour He cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind He gave sight. Okay, so here's what happened. John's disciples come to Christ and say, Are you the coming one? And Christ says, Hang on a minute. And He causes the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. And then, after He did that in their presence and showed them those things, He then says to them, the blind see and the lame walk and what I just read. And then He says, go and tell John. He showed them. He told them. He convinced them I just think how merciful, how gracious Christ was to recognize the need, recognize the weakness. And He gave them an answer beyond all answers. It would have reminded John of the Old Testament prophecies, which I'll not turn to for the sake of time, but Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 35, 1-6 and Isaiah 61, 1-3. And Christ's actions and His words would have reminded John of Isaiah's prophecies. Christ seems to be saying, you can see that these clearly speak of Me. My works for now can strengthen your faith and confirm My identity. You can trust Me for the justice that is to come even though it is not here in strength and fullness right now. You know what's interesting? Isaiah's prophecies include both miracles and preaching just like Jesus' answer does to them. But in Matthew 11 and verse 5, He says, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And then He adds something that is not in those prophecies. The dead are raised up. The reality, in a sense, almost seems to be greater than the original prophecy. In Luke 7, in that context, as I said, Christ had just raised the boy from the dead. And John now had great reason to have his faith renewed, even if he had to wait for complete fulfillment of his own message concerning Christ. 
Because Christ says to him, not only am I Messiah, and I'm showing you this by fulfilling all of these prophecies in Isaiah as to what Messiah would do, but I'm going to raise that. I'm going to bring somebody back from the dead as well as all of those things. And as well as preaching the Gospel. Man, even if our own corner of the kingdom is languishing, Christ is still Messiah. Christ is still on the throne. He is still powerful and still working on gathering the nations and building His kingdom. And while it might be good for us, as Richard reminded us last night, to remember that already not yet element that is sometimes very real to us, that the kingdom hasn't come in all of its fullness, yet Christ is still powerful and He's still gathering His church. So the answer to our doubts is found in the person and work of Christ. But also, secondly, as far as this answer, Christ's answer is concerned, the answer to our doubts is not necessarily found in a change in our circumstances. That's important. The answer to our doubts is not necessarily found in a change in our circumstances. Notice that Jesus graciously gives an answer, but not really all of the answer. Not everything that John was questioning was addressed here. We're often asked to continue to trust after our faith has been renewed, but without the full picture. And it seems to be enough for God to say to us, I am God. Let me be God. You be faithful to your stewardship. And I'll continue being God. And I will accomplish my purposes. And you trust me even when you don't understand doesn't make sense. You're hurting. The expectations are unfulfilled. But is it enough for you that I am indeed the Maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of the church, the Shepherd of your soul? Now, we couldn't have any more of a vivid illustration of this than from John's life. He stayed, from what we can tell, he stayed in prison and then had his head chopped off. But it seems to have been enough to know that Jesus was Messiah and that His plan would not fail. That the message that John the Baptist had been preaching was true. That he did have it right concerning Christ and the message of Christ. And that justice would prevail, just not as John perhaps expected. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, is this enough for you and for me today? even if our circumstances do not change. Or if they get worse. I wonder sometimes, when you think about a room like this, how many situations are represented in this room that you all are going back to tomorrow or sometime this weekend? And we're going back, and if you had a problem when you left, guess what? You're probably going back to resume dealing with it. And if you have a, a small, struggling church it probably hasn't doubled this week. If it did, you've got other problems to think about. (laughs) Jesus is God. Now is the day of salvation. Soon will be the day of judgment. All wrongs will be made right. We will no longer know death or pain or sin. This life is but a vapor. Worship Him with it, no matter what may come. The third answer to the answer is that the answer to our doubts is an opportunity to see Christ increase. 
Remember what John said? He was having an opportunity to live it out now. His desire was that Christ would increase and that He would decrease. He may not have realized how prophetic that was. John would in this context now, even just through the words of his messengers, get a chance to see Christ increase while He continued to decrease. But after all, isn't that enough for all of us? If Christ is to be magnified, then does it really matter what we go through? Isn't that what we want? Even if we don't have the full understanding or all of the answers? That's why I think ultimately this story is really not about John the Baptist. Because you notice all of a sudden after he asks the question, he's gone. I mean, what we see is the Lord Jesus Christ, His person and His work exalted in our eyes. Ultimately, this story is about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not even told how John specifically responded to Christ's answer. The focal point is the way that Jesus interacts with the weak brother. The fact that He truly is the expected one. And the necessity of faith in Him in spite of all obstacles. So today, brothers and sisters, don't remain focused on John's doubts, but on the reality of Jesus Christ. And that's the lesson that I believe is here for us all.